0: Alrighty, guys, welcome back to Brolosophy, philosophy through the eyes of an idiot. That idiot is me. And that idiot is proudly supported by Yeti. So, why is Yeti worth it, guys? It's a premium cooler company. Their coolers are, let's be honest, more expensive than the rest of the shitty coolers on the market. So, why is Yeti worth it? Well, firstly, you get what you pay for. A high-quality cooler that you never have to replace. Guys, everything that you buy in this day and age is crap. We are consumers. We are not owners. We consume things, products, clothing, um, services. So that's a bad example. But we are not owners. So a cooler like a Yeti cooler is something that you can own for a long time and you'll never have to consume another one, if that makes sense. Superior insulation. A freezer-quality gasket and supreme insulation power joint forces to deliver unmatched heat and ice retention. So, everybody's been at that party where the beers have gone cold. Oh, damn it. All right, let me rephrase that. Everyone's gone to that party where the beers have gone warm and, uh, you know, you won't be going back to that party the next year, let's be honest. There's nothing worse. So, superior insulation from Yeti. Um, that's, you know, another reason why Yeti's worth it. They're virtually indestructible. This one I really like, guys. So Yeti have told me, one hundred percent straight down the line, that these coolers have been attacked by bears, chucked out of moving trucks, hit by semis, dropped out of planes, and are still game for more. Now, I've been working with my mate Clay at Yeti, who uh, who who who's my you know touch point down there, and I've been asking him every week that I want proof of Yeti coolers versus bears, and I'm not sure if it's. You know, three or four Yeti coolers versus a bear. It says bears here. I would actually really think that one bear versus it would take probably five Yeti coolers to to beat a bear. I'd say, but look, I, well, I, I'm still trying to clarify this this because I don't want to bullshit you guys. You know, I don't want to I don't want to pull the wool over your eyes. It, it says that these coolers have been attacked by bears, and you know, and they're they're game for more. So I'm working hard to get you the proof that you need. Um, and you know, stay tuned. Maybe in the next couple of weeks, I'll have something for you on that one. So, five year warranty on all hardcores, proof that our, their products live up to their customers' expectations. Good, good. To learn more about Yeti, guys, head to yeti.com.au forward slash bro. We're also brought to you today by True Protein. Head to trueprotein.com.au forward slash bro, and you'll get 10% off all of their supplement range. I'm not going to do a big read on True Protein. They've been a sponsor of us for a very long time. If you've listened to this show before, you've probably heard me say it at a number of different occasions and that is that they are simply the best in the business. So we love being supported by the best in the business. Yeti are the best in the business. True Protein are the best in the business and that makes for us for very, very good business. Also, head to athena.co for 20 hours free of our virtual assistant services. So... Guys, basically, what is a virtual... Oh, damn it, Siri. Siri keeps jumping in and trying to tell me what's up. Um, So what are virtual assistant services? So I actually despise the term virtual assistant, but for lack of a better term, we're going to use it. It's our search term. It's the the common term that would refer to what we do, but I, I really don't like it. Virtual assistants a virtual assistant is somebody who works inside of your company from abroad so basically the reason why people would do this is when you're growing a young company it's hard to scale your team Um, you know it's hard to be a startup and be one two years in whatever and have money to fork out fifty seventy thousand dollars to grow your team so that's where we come in we can help you grow a team member in a quarter of the price really and but we don't deal in virtual assistants that's for lack of a better term that's what we do but we really don't we actually deal in just putting a really talented part-time or full-time team member into your business and they might be an administrative assistant they might be a content producer they might be um, someone who's in hr they might be a business development manager the term virtual assistant is a bullshit term it devalues the person that is on the other end that's working it's a term that is frowned upon unfortunately for us to grow as a company we need to dominate that search term in google but as soon as somebody becomes a client with us i tell them to scrap that term delete it from their vocabulary as soon as humanly possible because it's just it's bullshit people work virtually all over the world now and i'm not only talking about people in underprivileged countries. People in Australia, people in the US, people in the United uh, United Kingdom, they work remotely and they're no different to anyone else, so um, the term virtual assistant just needs to be trampled on and, and squished and squashed and s- scratched out of it. But to get 20 hours free of virtual assistants, head to athena.co, that's athena with a Y, and in the inquiry box, put the code bro, and you will activate your 20-hour um, trial. So anyway, here's the show. Now before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face.
1: And that's it! Yo! Discovery Roger, go for deploy.
0: So, James Martin, welcome to Broilosophy. Thanks, Doc. Cool. So, um, you are an associate professor. We, we just... Oh, damn it. I stuffed it up right away. <laughs> <laughs> associate professor of criminology. Yeah, that's so, right. um Cool, so tell us a little bit about yourself, James. Tell us about, yeah, who is James Martin?
1: Oh, uh, well, um, yeah, so uh, I work in criminology. That's my main sort of gig uh, Mm -hmm. at Swinburne University these days. Um, Yeah, I've been doing crim for, I guess, over 10 years or so Mm -hmm. now. Um, My main sort of area of focus or speciality is um, the darknet drugs trade. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's not where I started. I started, um, uh, I was doing my PhD Wow, oh, yeah, it was nearly ten years ago now. Uh, studying vigilante gangs. In, oh, yeah. uh, in a shanty town in Johannesburg. Wow. Yeah, which was uh, it was interesting. Uh, it was pretty hectic, as you can Far imagine. Far Well, yeah, um, and yeah, it was. But it was really interesting talking to people there. You know, basically, you know, very high crime sort of neighbourhood. Um, about eighty thousand people there. Very high rates of unemployment. Mm-hmm. Um, but police do not go into these yeah. settlements. They're persona non grata. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically in, a, in an environment like that, people want to do something about crime, but, the, you know, the government's not there to help, so they improvise. Uh, and that improvisation can get pretty, pretty scary at times. Wow,
0: really? Um, Johannesburg's one of the most dangerous cities on the planet, right? Would that be fair to say? Yeah,
1: I think outside of any sort of active war zones, it'd be, you know, it'd be up there somewhere.
0: Yeah. I actually um, thought I was going to die in Johannesburg once. I've only thought twice that I was... Uh, in, in my life, I've thought twice. I thought, oh shit, I'm, I'm in really trouble. I'm in some serious trouble here. Yeah. And one of them was in Joburg after a... Not one of the smartest decisions I've made, but after a... It was only the smallest disagreement with the taxi driver who was trying to rip me off. Like he was legit trying to rip me off. I got lots of Josie mates and I was visiting. Yeah. Um, I was only there for a day on the way to Cape Town on, on a holiday. And, um, and it was the equivalent of like a $10... In rand, yep. taxi ride from my mates' place to the Baron in the CBD, uh-huh. uh, this bar, and then on the way out, the guy tried to charge me like hundred. He knew I was foreigner and tried mm. to charge me like hundred and fifty bucks or whatever, mm. equivalent in rand. And I am not an argumentative guy, and I'm not aggressive, and, and I'm very non-confrontational. But I was like, nah, mate, like mm. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I I'm not, wasn't born yesterday. Like I've been here heaps of times. Just kind of bullshit made yeah. out. Like I knew exactly what's going on. Yeah. And then he started yelling at me, and then. And I was like, oh, and then all um, a number of probably like ten guys circled around the car and started yelling in the window, "You're dead, motherfucker! We're gonna kill you! You don't know where you are, you motherfucker!" Like just started, and I thought, "Oh fuck, I'm dead." For yeah. sure. I know Johannesburg, you know. Yeah, my mates. I got to Johannesburg, and um, and um, MJ let me in, and he opened the gates, and they have like probably same size ceiling, you know, fifteen foot high. Walls with barbed wire and broken yeah. glass. It's a penitentiary. Their house, you Yeah, know?
1: totally. Yeah,
0: wild, wild part of the world. So yeah, that does fuck up on my behalf. But I imagine. So how long did you spend over there when you're doing your thesis uh, or PhD? You say.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was doing my field work there. Um, so gathering, you know, interviewing local people, finding out what they thought about yep. the vigilantism that was going on around them and that I was sometimes participating in. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's the thing. You know, people hear you know like screaming in the night something. Here, typically, what people do first thing, you know, you get on the phone to the cops, mm-hmm. and then maybe you peek your head. Out the window and see if you can you know do something whereas you know if you know the cops are never going to come yeah people start banding together and it's a really dangerous situation because um, you don't know what's happening mm. and very quickly a crowd arrives and the crowd makes a decision you've got about yeah. 10 seconds to uh, convince you know the first few people that come into the room actually, no, this isn't what it looks like. Um, because if, yeah, once they make up their mind, nobody's getting in between you and the crowd. It's too dangerous. Wow. So, yeah, interviewing people who, they were like, look, I, I knew in that situation that it wasn't what it looked like. Mm-hmm. I knew, you know, my friend was innocent or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But once you step between, you know, the crowd and who they've, who they've decided in that moment is, you know, responsible or the criminal, mm-hmm. you know, the baddie, mm-hmm. then you become part of the baddies as well. Far and... Yeah, and you know, a 100 people, 200 people all want to get a kick in, there's not much left to the person usually by the oh, time they're done.
0: Oh man, that's horrific. What's yeah. it called when, um, what's it called the tipping point when a mob becomes like uncontrolled, like, um, uh, what's it called? Oh, there's a tipping point somewhere, isn't there, where obviously, if so many people become, you know, up in up in arms and aggressive and so forth, that it becomes... It goes too far and it becomes one in all in. Yeah. Oh, there's a term for it, I think.
1: I'll yeah. Um, I, I know what you're getting at. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what the term yeah. would be yeah. either. But yeah, that's yeah. basically what we're studying. You know, it's like when, um, you know, like crickets and locusts are the same thing. Yeah. But, you know, once you get a certain amount, they start swarming and behaving in a different that's way. Right. And humans do the same thing. It's, yeah. It's a, Have like, you read Civilized like, Death? uh
0: no i haven't oh i just finished civilized to death that's the uh chris chris, chris ryan. ryan yeah, yeah i yeah. read i read sex at dawn right? yeah like yeah his... so you would know you know chris ryan sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so obviously that's one of the oh, that's where i heard that analogy first mm. civilized to death just came out um yeah probably um two months ago and i just finished it on audible about a week ago yeah i think it's a great analogy yeah it's a scary sad but great analogy yeah First, yeah for the human being yeah
1: or kind of like a stampede you know as mm. well that and yeah crowd dynamics are really scary because most people there the people i was interviewing Said that they didn't actually believe in capital punishment. They yeah. believed in corporal punishment, yeah. you know, and then when they caught someone who was you know, um, you know, hurting someone or stealing something, they'd want to give them a good kicking. Mm-hmm. But they didn't want the person, they wanted to stop at the, at the point where, you know, some, before someone gets permanently injured or, yeah. or killed. But the crowd doesn't do that. Most vigilante attacks end in death. Um, really? Yeah. So there's, Far out. so there's this real, and then people feel guilty because, you know, particularly if the person was found to be innocent afterwards. Oh. So there's a lot of who finds
0: them to be innocent, just but just the crowd, just the locals, they find out. Yeah. just by anecdotal evidence that the yeah. person was innocent, you it misunderstanding. Was, it was
1: a misunderstanding. Yeah, it, was a, yeah, it doesn't want to look like. Or the person was actually, you know, that was the other person who was responsible, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. So
0: none of this stuff goes reported. So the only people reporting this is like journalists and so forth, people that are in there studying or like yeah. film crews. Because it, it seems like when you're in places like, like I've seen Louis Theroux um, documentaries in, you know, in Joburg and yeah. stuff. It seems like, um, who else? You know, Ross Kemp and Gangs and all these, you know, documentaries that have been out. It always feels like, those people are welcomed in yeah. to tell the story, and it's like they're out of bounds. Yeah, for, yeah. For, for, is that kind of what it's like? Yeah. Right cops can't go in there.
1: Yeah, that was right. So the vigilantes... <laughs> so originally, yeah, when I wanted to... I wanted to do my PhD on organized crime. Um, and But of course, organized crime groups in Australia or, you know, anywhere around the world typically don't want a PhD yeah, student yeah. hanging around with a notepad <laughs> yeah. saying... You know, so,
0: so you said, I'll do disorganized crime. Yeah, w-
1: well, th- well, this is the thing. I was kind of in a bit of a... It was a bit of a funk because I was like, I don't want to do a media analysis. You know, I wanted to go out and get my hands dirty somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, then I read about these, these gangs, essentially, they go around, they, they, you know, they kill people, they... Mm-hmm. You know they use a lot of extreme violence. Um, some of them are very organised, like the ones Louis Thoreau was interviewing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they've got a hundred thousand members. You know some of those some of those organisations, you know chapters across the That's country. Right. Um, yeah. So and they're very happy to talk about what they do, a because they're not scared of the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and the police often turn a blind eye, or sometimes you know complicit in mm-hmm. whatever they do. Uh, but be, they don't think they're doing the wrong thing. They see what they're doing as a community service. You know, yeah. They're taking out the trash when yeah. no one else is doing it. So yeah, they're very happy to talk.
0: Well, yeah, I've I actually, um, I've been to the favelas in Rio and done the, the regular favela tour and I actually went to a couple of favela parties, one with a tour and one on, my, one on my, not on my own, but one we just rolled in. And um, yeah, I learned a little bit about how they kind of do things over there in Rio mm. and it's very much um, the drug dealers and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, you're prob- you probably probably know more of it than I do because you Maybe it's just through your research, or I'm not sure. But, um, but the drug dealers and gang members basically were, yeah, they were like the community servants. Yeah, like they paid for the schools, paid for the roads, paid for the for the. Um, but everyone that was in the favela had to be on their side when it came to police involvement and sure. like drugs and and uh, basically in drugs. Yeah. So like, if the police were ever coming in, which it's very rare that they would, they would have like all the locals would be on lookout, and they would let. The cha- they would go up the hill, you know? Yeah. The, th- they would signal to this person, to that person, to that person. Everyone would know. And there's walkie talkies and people with guns in every corner. But it seemed like a well oiled machine. Yeah. Like these favelas in Rio, I don't know about obviously Joburg and other places, but these favelas in Rio, they had schools and art galleries and, you know, soccer stadiums. And it was crazy. Yeah. Like it was pretty for. Slu- it was shantytowns, Towns, slums, yeah. but it was, um, it was surprisingly. Well-organized.
1: Yeah. Is it like they enjoy it? It's a little bit different. I think the main difference would be the money, you know, because the, mm. there isn't a drug trade that's being for export that's yeah. bringing back money into the yeah. place. But at the same time, I mean, the first time I went to Zanspreit, which is a, the, the settlement where I did my research, um, yeah, it's a slum, but it, it was weird. I, I was sort of expecting, you know, rubbish on the ground and, yep. you know, a dilapidated kind of place. Mm-hmm. But people would be living, you know, in houses that are made out of refuse, but they'd paint them and they would yeah. be a little garden out the front. And yeah. there would be raw sewage, you know, down the, the main sort of, mm-hmm. you know, dirt track. But the local people took a lot of pride in where they lived. Whereas, yeah. you know, sort of slum in the West, it, it is, you know, people just don't seem to give a shit.
0: You know? Interesting. Yeah. It's all relative really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like some 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 people, some of the richest people in the world would look at the way that we, like my brother and uh, his, his... um partner she's like my sister pretty much um they just moved into a new apartment in elwood and it's really like it's kind of a funny color in the, of, on the walls and it's like it's not the greatest apartment of all time but you walk in there and it's beautiful because they've got indoor plants all around the place and like the decor looks cool and it's just you can tell that it's a home and they've taken care like someone that's probably you know worth a hundred million dollars would probably go oh what are you tarting up a shit heap like that for yeah. you know but it's all relative it's your home and your your space and you want it to be as nice as possible so that just shows good um that's just nice to hear it's good yeah yeah
1: yeah so anyway i did yeah did that and then it wasn't actually i didn't actually realize it at the time but i was getting increasingly stressed out just working in an environment like that because yeah well i felt no fear or anything from the vigilantes but getting in and out of the settlement and just being in Joburg in general i mean you know people live there but people leave there as well Mm. and um uh, and even though I'd been in a lot of dodgy places, and I'd spent some time in the army, and you know I'd seen, I'd, I'd been in, used to being in environments where um, I was under a fair bit of pressure. There, over the course of yeah months, um, by the end of it, I was just getting more and more. I don't know, it sort of felt like a bit of the Wild West, you know, sort of people were hard drinking, hard partying, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm a bit of a hedonist anyway at times like that anyway. So, it just I sort of got used to living on the edge and taking yeah. more and more risks, yeah. which started to freak me out. And anyway, by the, time, by the time I left, I remember it wasn't until I walked through the security and was waiting at the gate to get the flight back home to Australia that I was like, shit. I think I've actually made it. I think I'm okay, you know. (laughs) And sort of breathed out for the first time in a long time. And yeah, so I got back to Melbourne and it was funny actually. My mate was picking me up and he had a copy of the Herald Sun in the car. And um, I remember the headline that was sitting on the passenger seat and it said, Crime Wave Hits Melbourne. And I'm looking around, you know, people are driving with their windows down and it's this beautiful sunny day and I'm like, God, what are you talking about, you know? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, I decided after that that I, I needed to move into a different area of research. That I, didn't, I was, you know, didn't want to go into any Valvellas or shantytowns anymore. And, um, and luckily for me, people who I, uh, yeah, mates of mine had started buying drugs off this thing called Silk Road, mm-hmm. which I'd never heard of before.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, before we move on to the, crimin- uh, the dark web, um, uh, the dark web drug dealing stuff, which I'm definitely keen to talk about. Um, one question, just wrapping up that, that um, stuff of talking about the favelas and, and, you know, living on the edge and so forth. Mm. What, when you came back, was it a bit of an um, adrenaline dump? Did you feel like coming back? Because people talk about coming back from War Zones. Are you fam- familiar? If you're familiar with Chris Ryan, if you're familiar with, um, um, oh shit. Oh, here. Sebastian Younger. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I've heard him interviewed in the yeah, yeah. podcast as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. And
0: he talks about, um, in this book here, Tribe, this is one of my um, favorite books. We give it to all of our um, clients with my business. Um, but um, he talks about people coming back from war zones and talking about, yeah, it was the happiest time of their life, and they felt alive and they felt in the moment. You know, is that kind of was it a bit of a transition when you when you did come back or?
1: Yeah, yes and no. I think one of the differences with Tribe is that I was doing a lot of this research by myself. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I had some local research assistance, um, but it wasn't this kind of you know us all in communal, it together kind yep. of vibe um so i think it was a little bit different from that but yeah i definitely felt an adrenaline dump when i got back um and it was yeah it was it, it took a little bit of time to integrate mm. what what had happened mm. over there and i don't want to overplay it like as i yeah. said you know people people live there the whole yeah, lives yeah, yeah, you know yeah, for sure. but it was uh it's definitely you know a big big contrast to a very safe place like australia
0: mm-hmm. interesting man that's a, i couldn't imagine the the stuff you were saying that's fascinating um so yeah so <clears throat> In the in the lead up to this show, it's funny because um, what happens is um, either myself or our one of one of our producers does talent scouting and they put um, profiles across to me and they're like, "Oh, do you think this, I'll say this person would be good for the show?" Or mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> Matthias will say, "Oh, this person might be good. What do you think?" And I saw your profile and I clicked through and had a quick look at your TED talk and read a bit about your, your bio and I was like, "Yes, I would love to have that conversation. It's fascinating." Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really funny because. Um, I did all the prep in the last couple of days just like watching a couple of the videos and getting my head around what I wanted to talk about. But it was really uh, interesting because two days ago, uh, three or four days ago, uh, yeah, my, my best mate and I caught up at my other mate's kid's birthday party and my, my mate's on steroids for the um, first time. He's like 34, 35 and he's like, it looks like a fucking <laughs> juice, juice head. And anyway, and I um, don't know how we got into it but he's like, mate, do you know how much the whole world has changed? He goes, I buy my um, steroids off the dark web mm. and I was like dead set and he goes yeah but and he doesn't really you know take party drugs much anymore but we did when we were growing up together and he but he still does sometimes so yeah. if he's got like a wedding or whatever he'll like buy a bag of coke or, or sure. whatever yeah. and um, and he's like he goes bro I buy my fucking bags of coke off the dark web he goes the mailman delivers it and this is the first I'd heard of it yeah, and right. then only a couple of days later I'm I'm talking to you and actually going, going deep into it but mm. um, it's so fascinating so so um, yeah so talk to us about I've never even been on the dark web. I don't know how to do it. My mate from the conversation a few days ago was, was kind of, you know, breaking it down for me, but it's always been so, you know, foreign to me. So how do you actually get on the dark web? Uh, well, yeah, it's
1: easy, uh, and it's not illegal to get on the dark web. You know, all you need to do is uh, you download this thing called a Tor browser, mm-hmm. which is uh, I'm not a computer scientist by the way. I'll just put that out there, but yeah, yeah. you know, know, know the basics of how the technology works, what it yep. can do. it's basically um it's like a different um internet browser um you know like a chrome or safari Mm -hmm. or something but it it, um it uses this special network of um this special network which is the tor network the dark Mm -hmm. web Mm -hmm. and basically what it does is it scrambles your ip address so instead you know usually when you log on to the internet unless you're using a vpn or something uh, you know who you are where you're located it all comes down to this unique identifying number um, yeah. that's attached to your computer so you know if you, you send a death threat or you know do something else illegal mm-hmm. online the cops will be able to trace it back to that number yeah. but once you're on the dark web that number is effectively you know scrambled and mm-hmm. uh, the, the encryption that they use is incredibly simple it's free but it's also very powerful to do like a blunt force attack on it. You need like a supercomputer in 10,000 years to to crack this code. If you're using it correctly, there are vulnerabilities and weaknesses in the system, but they're, really? very, they're very difficult to exploit.
0: Really? That's fascinating. Because um, I've used VPNs for different bits and pieces in the past, like downloading stuff or like some other, whatever it is, you know. Um, trying to get on like Netflix of Europe because it's better than Australia, you sure, know. Yeah. And um, they seem to break every now and again, but the, the dark web, not always, you know, they're pretty good, but the dark web is basically impenetrable IP-wise. You, you won't be... Found. If you're using it right, yep. Cool. Oh, full on. Um, so where did the... So, yeah, I think maybe probably 10 years ago, I started hearing about the dark web and people buying drugs and it was through sil- the Silk Road or yeah. Silk Road or whatever it was called. And and I never went on there and I kind of thought that it must have just fizzled out. Mm. It must have been kind of like the Pirate Bay, even though you can still download stuff off the Pirate Bay, but like yeah. that was a pirate site and then it, it got harder and harder and cracked down and cracked down. And then now... I don't know, you can kind of probably sort down of download stuff from it, but um, I thought that happened with the dark web and buying drugs but it's the opposite is yeah that right? it is the opposite yeah it's
1: bigger now than it's ever been really um, yeah and it's uh that's kind of the narrative i guess that law enforcement wants to put out there and yeah when they cracked down on silk road they were like right this is proved that you know mm-hmm. the dark web drug trade is, is over no mm-hmm. one's being you know beyond the long long arm of the, the law yeah. and instead it was the opposite what he you know what russell bricks the guy who who got busted for being dread pirate roberts the guy who started the site okay um, yeah, what he did essentially was just prove, actually, that this is a viable business model. You know, he made eighty million dollars in Bitcoin in about two years. Um, and oh god, if he had those bitcoins, that was Bitcoin value <laughs> back then. You know, yeah. it would be worth. Right. That's
0: a trillion dollars. Yeah, it, it would be. Yeah, it would be in the. It billions. It actually probably would be something like. It'd that, probably right? be in the billions. In yeah. the billions, uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, so where did you come into it? Yeah. So, how come you ended up looking at dark web? Yeah. So,
1: yeah, when I got back from Africa and I was like, all right, I need a different area of research. And it's funny because academics, usually you get siloed pretty quickly. You know, you figure out a specialty in a niche and you sort of sit there. And, um, yeah, it's an unusual situation where you're sort of like, "Okay, you know, I I know I don't want to do this. I'm looking for something else. And even more unusual, there's something new comes on the scene. And I remember Mm -hmm. reading about it. There was a, you know, there's a famous piece um, in Gawker uh, that sort of unveiled it and, you know, to the rest of the wider world. And I remember going on Google Scholar, which is, you know, the the academics sort of sites about what peer-reviewed papers out there. And there was basically nothing there. There was one letter to the editor of a magazine written by someone who I work with quite a lot now. Actually, both papers that were there, um, uh, yeah, were people who I've done research with now. But there was basically no criminological work done on Mm -hmm. it. There was no real conceptualization of it. There was no, all right, what does this mean for drug trafficking? What Mm -hmm. does this mean if it keeps growing? Um, so it was—it was like you know, kind of age of discovery. You know, finding new land with no flags on it yet. Yeah. Like, wow. Okay. Great. Um, so yeah. So I, I got to work, and um, yeah, I managed to write the first book um, in the world uh, about it, and a, and a bunch of other papers since then. And yeah, it's—it's it's been sort of the golden goose ever since.
0: So, for people that don't know, so what does the actual, like, if I'm say me say on the weekend, I want to go and. Buy drugs. Who am I buying them from? What's the process like? Talk to us about what it actually looks like. Yeah, sure. In the thick of it.
1: So the the sort of common way that it's described um, in the media is like the, you know an eBay of illicit drugs, and mm-hmm. it's actually a really good analogy um, because uh, the darknet marketplaces or, or crypto markets um, they they don't sell anything themselves. They they just host this this secure infrastructure the same mm-hmm. way that eBay does. Yeah. Um, And unlike eBay, the only sort of significant difference, I guess eBay's got like the bidding system. Whereas on on these sites, people just, you know, you create a seller page. So if you've got some crack you want to sell or some, you know, whatever. (laughs) You go onto the site, you create a seller page, you, you sometimes pay like a registration fee, might be a hundred bucks, something like that. Yeah. And then you create your page. You take some photos of, you know, of what you want to sell. You write your little spiel. Here's our, you know, uh, guarantee to customers, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then if you want to buy something, you know, you create a buyer account, which is which free and then you go All right, I want to buy some crack for this weekend or you know some pot most of it's actually pot that's the biggest um, product category and then you go right I want to buy it from uh, you know you can search by uh, location so Mm -hmm. you know quite often particularly in Australia people won't want to buy from dealers who are located overseas because they Mm -hmm. don't they either don't want to wait um, you know three weeks or something to arrive from Europe or they don't want to Chances of, of it coming through customs, yeah. which are pretty, which are lower typically than people think, but still you don't want to spend three weeks necessarily yeah. wondering the whole time whether it's been intercepted or That's not. Right. Um, yeah, so you might prefer You might just limit your search to local dealers. Um, but the the sort of genius of the way the sites work is just the same as ebay or uber it's all about customer feedback and ratings mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so the dealers will say hey um look whatever happens you know the top dealers will be like please don't give us a bad rating if you're not happy with the product or the service somehow get in touch with us yeah. you know we'll, we'll we'll sort you out because their rating is basically how they attract customers yeah so that system um incentivizes behavior in a in a really different kind of way it's a bit like um uh, I don't incredible. know if you remember in Melbourne before we had Uber um, oh I know
0: the analogy you're about to make 100% yeah I mean
1: taxis it's were just a nightmare right? and the way
0: people would treat taxi drivers yeah. also
1: vice versa you know customers yeah, 100%. Would, would treat taxi drivers yeah. like shit and taxi drivers wouldn't pick customers up yeah. you, know, you weren't on the, the hook city, if you're in the city
0: at 3 o'clock in the morning trying to get home <laughs> yeah I remember it was, it. You know, yeah. it was people would laugh at you where are you going and I'd say I'm going on the morning to Peninsula yeah. <laughs> and I get yeah. in and go oh actually you know what scrap that just take yeah. me down the road yeah <laughs> yeah
1: and you know yeah
0: because you mean, couldn't I'm, get them otherwise
1: yeah I'm not an altercation person I had mm. altercations in that situation because mm. the system was bad yep. um, and then Uber comes along and often you know it's exact same customers often the same drivers You know, yeah. people used to drive for taxis driving yeah. for Ubers you're getting from A to B in a car but suddenly it all works yeah uh, and s- similarly do we see something on, on the dark net there was the, the first sort of big quantitative study so you know they're actually sucking up all the because we can see all this data and so um, some of the people I work with they're pretty pretty uh, savvy um, quantitative researchers programmers and whatnot they create these programs that basically hoover up all the data um, and then we can analyze it we can analyze you know a particular drug dealer's career or the whole drug trade going through a particular site or all the sites Um, and what they the first study that was done on this they found that on Silk Road I think it was over the course of like 30,000 transactions over the course of a year something like that, it was um, 97.8% of the transactions had either a four or a five-star rating in terms of customer (laughs) satisfaction. That's
0: doing great business. Yeah, I mean, that's (laughs) that's a cut customer satisfaction any any enterprise. NPS, great NPS scores. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, that's so funny. That's so funny. So, just to get my head around it a little bit, uh, just on the logistics of it kind of. So,
1: are they all... So, is
0: the Silk Road shut down? Yeah, Yeah. Okay, so... So, are there a number of um, um, eBay-like sites, or are they like sites where it's like Joe's Weed? Come to Joe's Weed, and they sell all their own. Yeah, there's a little bit drugs of drugs.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: are people building standalone companies on the dark web? I mean, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, the, yeah, you're right. So, there's the sort of main sort of <coughs> crypto markets, the eBay-style ones like Silk Road. Um, and when Silk Road was in operation. It pretty much had a monopoly on the trade. There were other little ones out there. Yep. People were trying to copy it, but why would you go anywhere else when you know that was most the one reputable, it, most yep. reputable, yep. Um, and uh, the Amazon of the dark
0: web, exactly. Right? Was, yeah,
1: yeah um, So that was the, the sort of the one-stop shop, and it worked really worked really well for its for its intended purpose. Um, but yeah, once that shut down. The the market uh, decentralized and fragmented, um, so people realize they're all right. Actually, cops can bust us. Um, but the, here's the weird thing, though: most of the sites that have been taken offline uh, have not been taken offline because of police. Um, mm. They do these things called an exit scam. So the way these sites work. Um, it's all about how to generate trust in an anonymous online environment. So yep. the way these sites work is they'll go, all right, um, so um, Doc wants to sell some some crack. I want to buy some crack. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. I order it off you. It's untraceable, unrefundable Bitcoins. So I don't actually send it straight to you. It goes to the administrator of the site and he holds it until my crack arrives. And then yep. I go, right. It's I like an escrow account. It is an escrow account. Yes, exactly. So what That's happens that. over a period of time, the bigger and bigger the site gets the more and more money is being held in these escrow accounts. Yep. Um, And at some point, the administrator of the site goes, look, I've been doing this for six months. We haven't got busted. There's 60 million in, you know, this escrow account now. I can just walk away, you know, go to the Bahamas or whatever. So at some point, you know, this is the most common way these sites go offline. Someone just shuts their laptop and and
0: nicks off. What? Oh, my God. That's so ridiculous. So... Oh, that's fascinating. So, with these sites, one of the things I was going to ask is: Are the sites illegal? Uh, it's yeah. Well, yeah. Would they go to jail for yes. being at the middle. Yeah. Well, they're because they are they are selling drugs, aren't they?
1: Well, yeah. I, I don't They're just
0: know. the middleman, but the bigger middleman. Yeah. So they're, faci- like,
1: they're facilitating, you know, yeah. the trade. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because we see really disparate sentencing with this. So, so yeah, Ross Ulbricht, the guy who uh, was convicted of running Silk Road. He um, he ended up getting a double life sentence plus thirty years. You know? um, so he, you know, he will be in prison, um, you know, barring a miracle for the rest of his the rest of his days. Oh, far out! Um, Where but, was that guy from? Uh, he's American. He actually lived in Melbourne for a while. Oh, um, really? He was running the whole thing, you know, from his laptop using public Wi-Fi at a, a public library in San Francisco. Far
0: out! That's kind of a bit sad because that's such a funny story. He would have been like, "I'm taking the piss here. This is great." Well it cost him his whole entire life. Oh, yeah. And he far did this... And
1: he was actually really politically motivated. Like, he was um staunch libertarian, um, visivorous, you know, anti-war on drugs kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And he created, uh, you know, uh, he created the Uber. You know, there was actually a better... It's a better way of getting drugs made to be. If people are going to buy um, illicit drugs... Safer. Safer, you're eliminating far the street trade. you're jail forever for it. Yeah, and he... Um, yeah and the, you know the weird thing is that's more money than yeah, more time than we give to pedophiles or mm. you know to terrorists or whatever so that's wild but the reason was in the end he he was overtly political about it he was like no nope, this is about screwing the FBI screwing yeah. the DEA um, they're the real criminals here and he did this 10 oh. page interview with Forbes magazine um about three months before he was captured, and he was like, "Look, the war on drugs is over. We've won it. The guys with the bongs won." Yeah, <laughs> um, and yeah, it seems a bit like Hubert's now because he he was busted shortly after. But he really pissed off these. Oh man, the know,
0: the worst people in the world. You want to piss off?
1: Yeah, they don't they don't take the joke, and he made them look oh, like fools. Man. And so you know, when it came time to throw the book, they threw every
0: book oh, that they man. could. Oh man, that's a really sad story, actually. Yeah, so to be tra- honest, well, it depends tra- where you sit on the war on drugs and the war on war on consciousness to borrow another term from another bloke who I read his books but um, yeah I think it's just um, that's quite sad in a way I don't know him he might have been a terrible guy I don't know he might have been at it for, for terrible reasons but it's also yeah I mean drugs kill people but far out I, I think drugs should be legal to be honest I think that they should be People should be able to make their own decision on what they do with their life and their yeah. consciousness and so forth. And we have laws for a reason I, I think. And yeah. it, you know, you can get drunk. If as long as you can get drunk, drugs should be legal. Yeah. Because drinking's a drinking's a drug and it's a it's fucking bad one. Oh it's it's you it's know? the worst. It's yeah. the worst
1: per capita, even. Yeah. Um so even if you even if you control for the number of users, it still does you know way more harm than, than pot or the MDMA or really? the psychedelics. Oh yeah. Full on. Yeah, this is... um, No, I agree with you, you know, broadly about sort of legalisation. It's, yeah, I mean, these... And it's not to say, look, if someone gets high and then, you know, goes out and commits a crime, well, yeah... Charge them, you know, for committing whatever crime yeah, they did. that's right. But most illicit drug users, ninety percent plus, uh, are non problematic. It's the same yeah. the same proportion, roughly, for problematic drinkers. You know, yeah. it's one in every ten will have a problem. Yeah. Uh, but we don't ban drinking because that one in ten. We, you know, we have restrictions around who can buy it, when you can buy it, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But you know, but in a lot of countries, you you know, you go to Italy or you know France or whatever, you can get booze any time of day, you know, yeah. anywhere. And they have fewer drinking problems than we do. They do yeah. less binge drinking. Yeah. You know. So Real the weird culture like that. The restrictions. Society. Yeah. The restrictions in a lot of ways, I, you know, the analogy I kind of like is, you know, if you put up an idiot proof fence, <laughs> absolutely everywhere. Well, eventually people just think, oh, okay, I'll just act like an idiot because that's, you know, how society is conditioning me to behave. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if, yeah, if you go to, uh, I remember the first time I went out in Berlin I was amazed at how little security there was around. You know, there's someone on the door and, you know, maybe very discreet security in the back. Mm -hmm. Um, But most people, even if they were absolutely shit-faced or really high or whatever, we're just keeping it together. They've just got a different culture about getting, you know, uh, about partying like that. Mm. Whereas, yeah, whereas here, you know, people tend to to lose their minds. And it's not actually the drugs doing Mm. that, I don't Mm. think, in most Mm. cases.
0: That's really interesting. Psychological... Yeah, that's. Mm, I wonder why that would be. Well, I think it's a lot of it comes down to just social
1: norms. So yeah. people, um, and they've done studies with this around, you know, placebo effect of being drunk. People act drunk, and people act. Yeah. You, you actually act drunk.
0: We gave a um, we gave a cigarette with a twirled end mm-hmm. when we were fifteen to our girlfriends. Uh-huh. And we told them it was a joint because we used yeah. to get our joints and we'd put them in our, um, cig- actually cigarettes with butts. We all we do is we'd push them in, we'd twirl the end. Mm. We know it was a joint in our cigarette packet. Yeah. We gave it to the girls, and they were talking about fucking seeing. Dragons and you know, everything's on everyone's green, and and we're like, oh, fuck, <laughs> <laughs> Girls, <laughs> gathers, <you> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know what was going on there, but, but yeah, it's
1: saying. it's the same with booze. Like, in uh, I was in Italy, um, uh, I was in Rome, I couldn't believe it. We were sitting at the top where the Garibaldi Monument is, one of the big hills there, and I was there with a, an Italian bloke who was, who was showing me around the place, and we were looking around, and there's maybe I don't know, it was between maybe 10 uh, and 1 o'clock in the morning on a Friday or Saturday night, I can't which yep. one, and there would have been about three, 400 teenagers sitting around, all drinking. Mm-hmm. There were two little kiosks selling booze. Didn't see one fight, didn't see one person throwing up, not one mm. broken glass, because mm. in Italian culture, it's just not cool to sit around and smash yeah, drinks. it would yeah. be like it would be like going, "Hey, let's go smash some espressos." You mm. know, let's line up 10 espressos and shoot. Mm. Like people would just go like, "What are you you're an idiot?" Yeah, like what are, you, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah, Why yeah. would you do that? Mm. Um so the culture just has different, you know, attitudes to mm. you know, they'll drink, you know, they drink a, they drink a lot, you know, over the course of a week
0: or whatever, but yeah. they don't they don't get out of control. Yeah, Australia're bad like that, aren't we? Yeah. I went to um uh, where where was it? Brisbane. It's the um it's the main street in Brisbane. I forget what it's called. Um I was just there for a um, sporting event three years ago. And uh, we went out, my mates won the national championships at um, weightlifting. And um, we went out and had beers or whatever. And walking the street, this, I forget what it's called, but it's like the main drag in Brisbane City. Mm. And um, it's like 500 metres. And there's like bars, or it's maybe like a kilometre, I don't even know. But it's like bars on each side. And all on the street, there's stuff going on. But I walked through there and I was like, where am I? Mm. What is going on? Mm. It's like a regular Saturday in like the middle of June mm. and there was people throwing up on the street, girls mm. pulling their bras up and showing yeah. their tits and like people punching on and I was just, it was mayhem. I'm like, this is, no, this is a normal Saturday yeah, in, Australia, that, in Australia. I mean, that's the, that was the wildest just regular area I've been, you know, like like King's Cross kind of like in Sydney and mm. I guess Melbourne gets loose as well and, and so forth. But um, it was really quite embarrassing, you know. I was like, wow. And it's, you see that when you see Australians travelling, you know. Mm. We're, we're sh- I, I, I've i travelled all over the world. I've travelled to 45 countries or whatever, spent a lot of time backpacking. And I'll happily make friends with any Australian, you know, with anyone in from anywhere, obviously. Yeah. But I also deliberately try and hang with other cultures for, I want the cultural I wanna you know, hear different stories and so forth. But also because I know that the only people that will ever piss me off in the world is Australians when I'm travelling. I'm just like, fuck, you're doing us all mm. you doing us all in here. Yeah, it's odd <laughs> it's
1: odd hearing an Aussie accent when you haven't heard one for a while. don't know, oh, yeah. what are we doing? What are we up to? <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, that's yeah. uh that's interesting. Um so getting back to um Silk Road, so who who are the drug dealers like are we talking are we talking shaved head tattoos you know mm. t- t- sitting at home smoking bongs you know getting pierced like what getting in for whatever all that or are we talking about like young tech savvy entrepreneurs effectively yeah. like or is it somewhere in between or a bit of both yeah, it's
1: a really <coughs> good question and the- <sighs>
0: Well, we don't really know, I guess, to a degree as well. We don't, we don't know
1: heaps, um, yeah. because very few of them get caught. Mm. Um, uh, because yeah, they're, they're protected by encryption. You've got geographical separation between, you know, point of sale and and the customer so you know trying to police this stuff is extraordinarily difficult mm-hmm. um, but uh, we actually so one of the research teams that I um, uh, that I run we just wrapped up a series of interviews with active darknet drug dealers mm-hmm. um, so we posted a series of ads we were like look we we uh, where we're critical of the war on drugs, you know, we, we think that there's maybe harm reduction potential in the dark web drugs trade. Um, <coughs> and we want to hear, we think there's a different story to the one that's kind of been put out in the tabloid press, yeah. particularly about, you know, predatory dealers who want to hook your kids and, bob, yeah. you know, that sort of narrative. Richard uh, Nixon narrative. Yeah, exactly yeah and we were like um uh but but we need people to talk to us if yeah. that narrative is there and you've, you've you know you want to t- talk to us about your experience please get in touch and we ended up um yeah we did 13 interviews um with dark drug dealers around the world about who they were, you know, what, what they... Uh, I mean, nothing identifiable, obviously, but, you know, what what they sort of got involved in it for. And about half of them had sell, sold drugs in some capacity, you know, usually at pretty small levels offline. Yep. The other half were like, no nope, no way was I ever going to sell drugs. I was scared about possibility for violence, any yep. kind of confrontation, <coughs> you know, worried about risk of police or whatever. Most of the people we spoke to, you know, came across as quite well-educated, um, had pretty you know, pretty minimal financial goals. So like these are not people who wanted to be Scarface. Yeah. You know, they're aware that the bigger that you become, the bigger target you are for law enforcement. Yep. They're like, look... Sort of side hustlers. Yeah. People will be like, look, um, you know, I started off, you know, um, using Silk Road or something similar, you know, to get <coughs> drugs for me and my mates. Then we realized, actually, this is a pretty good way of doing it. We had a bit, a little bit left over. So we'd sell that and that would cover the weekend, you know, partying. Mm-hmm. And then we realized, oh, we maybe make a little bit more money doing that. Yep. But yeah, usually people would be like, you know, I just wanted to, you know, put, get enough for a deposit on a house. Yeah, or I, yeah. wanted, I wanted to pay off my student debt. We had a number of people talking about that. And we're like, yeah. right, okay, that's, you know, that's the interesting Four, motivation. Nine. So it was pretty, it was pretty like, you know, mainstream sort of, you know, financial goals. It wasn't, yeah, yeah. Like driving Maseratis around. And that yeah, sort of yeah, thing.
0: Buying, buying lines and... Um, <laughs> putting them in your backyard and that kind of yeah yeah stuff.
1: I mean I think that that's there as well but I don't yeah. think it's kind of representative of the yeah. most of the people that get involved
0: no no that's fair mm-hmm. um, so what about so when you talk about these um, you know very forward thinking business practices the fact that you're taking the drugs out of the streets mm-hmm. and into the home you know through the your, your, your postman and so forth mm-hmm. And I already feel like there's going to be a lot more pros than cons, but can you talk to us about, yeah, just what you think are the pros and if there are any cons in comparison to the old way of doing things yeah. with the new drug trade on the online stuff? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, the pros... Yeah, so one of the big pros is... um
1: uh yeah, uh, questions around violence. So, illicit drug markets tend to have quite low levels of violence. You know, violence is usually a sign that something's gone wrong. You know, somebody's defaulted on a debt or, yep. you know, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest ones.
0: This is offline, did you say online? This is Sorry. offline. Offline, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, but generally, levels of violence, you know, are, are pretty are pretty low. But there's yeah. always the threat of violence, right? Yeah. The threat of violence, whether it's, you know, from the bikey gangs or whatever organized crime groups, you know, because if somebody defaults on a deal, they've got to know there's going to be some sort of, you know, payback. Yeah. And it usually yeah. doesn't involve the police because yeah. these people... They've got For a code sure. of, of not getting in touch with police usually. Yeah. Um, so there's this threat of violence and if you're a drug dealer, you know that um, you know, most people think, Oh, they'll be worried about the cops. Well, yeah, they might be worried about the cops, but the real danger is, you know, you chop a reed sort of type who's mm. a standover man who's gonna, you know, if they figure out that you've got a stash, you know, they're gonna come in and chop off your toes until you, you yeah, hand yeah. it over and, you know, yeah. maybe you don't walk out of there alive. Um, so there's dangers there. And then maybe you go, okay, well, you know, if I'm up against that sort of threat, maybe I need to buy a gun, you know, or maybe I need to affiliate with a bikey gang who can mm-hmm. offer me protection or, or whatever. <coughs> so violence is a, is a valuable commodity, you know, in the illicit drugs trade. And most, it's about three quarters of the organized crime in this country is funded by the illicit drugs trade really uh, yeah it's huge wow it's it's the lifeblood of organized crime in wow. Australia and it is across much of the world as well and it's not because the drugs it's not because of what the drugs do it's just how much they're worth you know you've got demand you've got supply you know you've got around you know 600 billion dollar you know global mm-hmm. you know drug trade something thereabouts um, people people are going to supply them and uh, yeah so anyway so you you've got a lot of risks you know just in the trying to get you know a valuable product like that that runs outside of state control and regulation but you so you do it online and then yeah you've got dealers who are like all right well I'm not worried about chopper read because no one knows who I am anymore you know yeah. uh, my supplier you know knows who I am but they want to keep supplying to me presumably or a lot mm. of these suppliers are actually buying drugs on the dark net themselves and then selling them on the dark net so you're yeah, not yeah. connected to any you know uh, yeah. physical illicit drug market so it's kind of better for the better for the sellers um, uh, in that sense, but it's also better for the consumers because unless you know your drug dealer really well, um, having some sort of customer feedback that gives you at mm. least a semi-independent indicator of quality or perceived quality yeah. of the drugs, and when you've got 100%. dealers who they make their careers on having this reputation and this profile, you can go there and you can read, you know, 500 reviews and you go, all right, well, probably there's a good chance that this is actually MDMA or this is, you know, this is the strain of weed that I'm trying to buy um so um you know you have a better idea about what, what's in the drug what adulterants may or may not be in it a better idea about dosage so you know that all can help control the harms that are associated with the illicit drug use because obviously if you know what you're taking then mm-hmm. you can decide you know do i want to have half or do i want to have two or you know mm-hmm. whatever whatever it might be mm-hmm. so there's benefits there as well um the sort of cons that exist um yeah i mean there's pros and cons usually um yes there's some really re- interesting research um uh, done by a lady called Monica Barrett, who I work with, um, uh, and some of her colleagues, and they did a bunch of interviews interviews with drug users about what happened to their drug use when they first started accessing accessing these sites. Mm-hmm. And the name of the paper is um, uh, "What if you live on top of a bakery and you like cakes?" Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and people would describe just going, "Wow!" You know, I just suddenly started buying all this yep. stuff, and their drug use would increase. But then, pretty quickly, they'd be like, oh, no, I can get this any time. Yeah. You know, this sort of famine mentality of like, oh, right, you know, it's a bit like when they call last drinks at the bar. People yeah. are like, oh, shit, all right, we better all start drinking here. Yeah, yeah. But if the bar doesn't shut, people go, okay, well, we'll just, you just have what you want. Yeah, So they right. found that there was sort of this initial spike, but then it would tail off pretty quickly and people would just, you know, revert back to whatever they were doing usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, usually people... I mean, it's a funny thing about drug use as well. Like, people tend to think... That a lot of the harm comes from just the availability of these drugs, and we need mm. to restrict the availability. The fact is, we're doing a really shit job of restricting availability. Oh, I've
0: never in my life. I don't take drugs anymore, but I never went a night where I was like, "Oh, damn it, we couldn't get any drugs." Yeah, if you like, want maybe you one can. in fifty. Yeah, really? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. You know, maybe you can't get exactly what you want, or you can't mm. get the quality you want, or whatever. But um, the availability, you know, it exists if yeah. if you want it. Um, so, um, yeah, so these these drugs aren't making things more available than they would otherwise mm. be, except the exception being like really niche kind of drugs, so your yeah. ayahuasca's and your DMT's, yeah. but
0: they're not drugs of addiction anyway. I got some, uh, where's this buddy? What is it? I got some ibogaine over there. Oh, really? <laughs> this right. is ibogaine here. This little vial. Wow, okay. Here's the ibogaine. I got it, um, and it, that. May love be your truth, Adam um, Isaac Miller. He right. wrote that in this little thing. He's a dude that came on the show and he's a um, medicinal marijuana and uh, like advocate. Um,
1: well, I mean, and that's an anti-addiction drug, right? And people, yeah, people that's use right. use that to quit things. That's and, right. Um, yeah, so people, um, you know, it's people, it's people who, have, who have dysfunction in other parts of their life. A lot of it has to do with trauma as well. If you've suffered, you know, a tr- um, series of, of traumas in your childhood, they're the ones who are most likely to not be able to have a healthy... Relationship with with their drugs, whether it's booze or whether it's something illegal as well. Most people, yeah, yeah, they you know maybe you you go out and you start taking you know pills for a while, and then you realise, hang on, this is impacting my work, or I'm I'm coming down all the time, or I'm starting to fail at uni. And most people at that point go, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna wind it in. Yeah. Um, So. Yeah, so I think, and, and this sort of ties into what you're talking about before with legalization. It's, it, these drug laws are not keeping us safe. They make mm. the drug they make the drug war you know more more dangerous. You know, mm. it's, it's, essentially, um, what they're doing is they're saying, all right, we need to make this as dangerous as possible to convince people to stop taking it. So, you know, that's why we kind of pill testing, for example, because they're like, oh, I would send the wrong message. Mm. It's a bit like saying, okay, well, we better take seatbelts out of cars because, yeah. you know, if you've got seatbelts... People would think that
0: cars are too dangerous to drive. Yeah,
1: you're, yeah. you're going to encourage people to speed, you know. Yeah. There, should oh, be yeah, a, yeah. there should be the threat of imminent injury. And we're like, well, yeah. no, we don't do that with, you know, any yeah. other sort of, you know, um, thing. But with drugs, there's this kind of still moralistic sort of attitude towards them that people you know, deserve what they get. And if they die, well, you know, sometimes you, you know, you've got to mm. break some, mm. some eggs to make an omelette and mm. it's a pretty shit omelette that we've made mm. for ourselves. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like just what you said here. So I, I'm certain, I'm certain I, I would imagine that around the world, a lot of the organized crime is paid for by illicit drugs. You yeah. said three quarters in Australia. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So surely all those studies have been done in other parts of the world. The United States, obviously are the leader in the war, war on drugs how i just yeah what what are your thoughts on well, I wrote down here prior to the show legitimization slash legalization and I think legitimization as in you know obviously in, in the states now weed um is obviously big business mm-hmm. um and and um uh anyway let l- leave that one, but basically legitimization of you know the commercial side of, of drugs but, but legalisation really is what I was talking about so what do you think is the future of yeah legalisation with any sort of drugs because I feel like there's just a groundswell that's slowly building on the fact that everybody knows the war on drugs is not working mm. and if the and surely like that figure is that three quarters of crime is paid for illicit drugs you know I've heard people say like the biggest rebuttal to legalising drugs for that reason is well, criminals are always criminals. They'll just go to other things like because Colombia for example, you know, became the kidnapped capital of the world after the yeah. drug after Pablo Escobar's day and, and so on and so forth. And you know, criminals, you know, people that want to you know, go outside of the the law and and find loopholes into making money and whatever you know they're going to be around yeah. but like we're throwing fuel on the fire of that at the moment yeah. I feel like yeah I'm familiar with that argument that yeah if you, if you, sh- you
1: legalise drugs they'll just find something else mm. to do I think it's a really specious argument I don't think it stacks up at all because in the end you know uh, people, who, people who commit crime for profit they're not so ideologically com- committed to the idea of crime mm. that they're going to do a job that's harder for them than a legal job if there's one available that offers more money yeah yeah yeah. it's just a simple question of economics you know somebody is going to supply this you know this multi multi billion dollar drug market yeah if you legalize that you take away opportunities for profit and eventually it will come to a point where you're like okay well hang on I may as well just Get a job or, mm. you know, whatever, because it's yeah. you know, the opportunities are there. And also with the online drugs trade, I mean, it's getting bigger every year. We know that, um, you know, we, we actually know the, the, the scale of it way more than we actually do than the offline drugs trade, because mm-hmm. we can see all, you know, a lot of the transactions that mm-hmm. are taking place. And I've had people say to me, well, hang on, so you've just got, you know, bikey gangs who are moving into that. And I'm like, well, yeah, but now they're specializing in customer service, and, yeah. you know, and product quality <laughs> yeah, instead of right. you're going so around funny, kneecapping people. Yeah. So maybe, but yeah. is that such a bad
0: thing anyway? Yeah, that's right. Or oh, the bikeys go to business. Mm. They go to the Silk Road or whatever the equivalent is, and they, if they continue their ways or they don't give a fuck and the, and the service is poor and whatever, then... They can't compete, right? That's right.
1: Yeah. So, and that's kind of, I think it's in some ways what we're seeing now with the rise of the dark net drugs trade, it's, it is slowly transforming how drugs are retailed around the world. And it's a little bit like, I think we're kind of in a position like um, Myers and David Jones, you know, mm-hmm. the big department stores were back in the nineties when legitimate online retailing started happening. People yep. were like, nah, it's never going to take off. People are always going to want to come into a store to try it. You know, no one's going to yep. just buy this stuff online. Yeah. Uh, but of course, the online retailers ended up taking over the market because they can sell directly to a customer. You buy part, you have a simpler supply chain. Mm. You know, you can supply better quality products at a cheaper price, and yeah. that's exactly what these people are doing online. Yeah. So why why do you need you know these these big sort of you know organised crime equivalents of Myers and David Jones anymore mm. when you know there's a technological alternative available?
0: Mm. So if we're talking so if we're talking online and offline drug trade, so say in the say 1990, just to use it. You would say 100% would have been offline, right? Yeah. Um, and then, what about say 2005, which would probably be where Silk Road and so forth, maybe I don't know, started. Was 20, 2011 was. 2011. Silk Road. Okay.
1: So, yeah, Silk Road. It, it hasn't even been around 10 years. Not, right. Okay. You know.
0: So well, okay. Well, let's just fast forward to now. So, what percentage? I know you don't know the data on, or as much data on the offline drug trade. Yeah. But what percentage would you say, with what you know, would be Sold offline and would be sold online these days? Um, it's in Australia. If Yeah, if we, if we pick
1: something like Australia, it would be a few percent probably. Yeah, Online? It, it would be online, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so I think the latest data that we saw from the Global Drug Survey... Um, so this is the world's biggest online drug survey, yep. um, and I'd encourage any of your listeners to to, to participate because um, yep. uh, it's yeah they, they use this data for really good purposes. Um, of course, it's, it's all anonymous as well. I think they said in Australia now, in the last twelve months, um, it's about seventeen or eighteen percent of people who use illicit drugs have, have bought at least some of those drugs off the darknet. Yeah. So, um, but that's not including you know your it's not a representative sample. So you're already sampling online people. So it's not including, your, you know, your homeless drug user. Yeah, while, that's right. You know, and it's
0: they've bought online, not they buy all their drugs online. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, you know, um, you know, ballpark, you know, kind of estimated, you know, educated guess would be around, I'd say around 5%, something like yeah. that. But that, that number is getting bigger and bigger every year. Yeah. Um,
0: and what do you think it will look like in 10, 10 more years, time?
1: Well, yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, hopefully by then we've actually got a bit more movement in the legalization space. You know, mm-hmm. we've had Canada go to full federal legalization for weed now. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said before, lots of parts of the states, I think roughly yeah. half the states either have medicinal or recreational cannabis. Yep. Typically, we follow whatever the US does, you yep. know, in time. Um, and if you do that, you know, even if you just legalize cannabis, you would actually, I mean, yeah, the biggest, uh, most popularly mm. traded um, Category in in the dark web drug trade is cannabis. And actually, yeah, most, sure. most drug arrests in this country are still for cannabis and still for possession, <laughs> low-level drug possession. So, most of the drug war <laughs> is... Yeah, and all of That, that costs, is so dumb. All of it costs money. Oh, um, man. What so, a
0: waste. What a waste of time and energy. Uh, and, a, and, a waste, money. and money. And money.
1: You know, money. there's taxpayer dollars that could actually... Yeah. And then, you, th- you know, you throw nonviolent drug offenders in prison. It costs around 100, 100 grand to keep one person in medium security prison for a year. Oh. Um, you know, it's... Yeah, it's about triple what you could put, you know, for a drug rehab facility. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, what else you could use that money for? You can Far use your out. imagination.
0: That's insane. Um, yeah. So... Cool, so, and what about you? So, what do you want to be doing in the next five or ten years? Like, what's your future with all this? Are you... Are you yeah, getting...
1: that's a good question. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I love academia. It's it's really good fun. The research is good. The teaching mm-hmm. is really, really good. Um, but I, I do enjoy, you know, getting... Now that the data is so clear, you know, I think any, you'd be hard-pressed to find a criminologist, um, certainly in this country, that thinks the war on drugs is a, is a success, mm-hmm. um, usually. I think we'll look back on it as one of the biggest, you know, public policy failures of, you know, the last hundred years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, getting involved in advocacy around that, around harm minimization, yeah. you know, decriminalization, legalization for at least some drugs as well. Um, you know, that's, that's something I, I like going out and waving the flag for as well now.
0: And how much of the um, how much of uh, the future of medicinal um, illicit substances? So obviously, um, like psilocybin is a Schedule One drug, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's medicinally fast tracked because it's of its efficiency in in providing care to people that for a number of different things. Oh, absolutely! And MDMA, like it's how can you have a Schedule One drug, yeah. and then fast tracked because of its medicinal use? Yeah, you know? it's but, so f- stupid. But, yeah. but 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 um, that must be a big part in you know, legalization or at least decriminalization. Well, yeah. So how much do you, you know, does it fire you up about that side of things? MDMA, um, psilocybin. Heaps. So yeah. On, so forth?
1: yeah. Yeah. It makes me really, makes me really angry um, because <laughs> yeah. these are things that, yeah. I mean, MDMA very successful in the treatment of PTSD. Yep. Um, yeah, psilocybin for dep- depression, mm-hmm. uh, you know, near-death anxiety, yeah. um, which always tripped me out. You know, some people take psilocybin and think they're going to die. But what, what happens when you give it to people who know they're going to die, you know, they develop this sense of oneness and mm. they they start not worrying so much about their own death. Yeah. Know, because they've, they've kind of had a look, you know, round the curtain and, uh, mm. and it's not so bad. All of these things have huge, you know, uh, legitimate medical application. Uh, and, you know, for treatment of pain or treatment of a whole bunch of things. Um, I think it's... Really, I think we're trying, we just have to unlearn a lot of the the, the crap that has been associated with drug war, drug war mm. propaganda. Mm. You know, that yep. if, you, if you have a toke on a joint, before you know it, it's a gateway drug and you'll be mm. sitting in a gutter somewhere, you know, shooting up. It's just yeah. not how it works. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I think the world is um, changing and I think, obviously, technological advancements is probably the number one thing, but even just everything we've talked about today, it's... I think it's going to be a totally different landscape, knowing absolutely bugger all about it. But I think um, I've followed closely the um, psilocybin trials and and so forth and seen a couple of speeches and read a lot of books and blah, 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 listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm. But um, but yeah, it seems like the the world is truly on its way to slowly changing. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, I wonder what 2030 and 2040 will look like. I think very different by then. And it's weird because it seems like there's often no change happening but then
1: change happens quickly. Yeah, You know, the dominoes start falling pretty pretty fast. Yeah, um, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. Keep fighting the good fight. Mm. Bloody oath. Um, all right, cool. So, James, um, before we uh, wrap up today, so... I mean you've given us so much to think about and I'm sure people want to learn more so where can people find you Any of your, anything that you want to plug your website your, your talks books and whatever anything yeah, you want to sure. plug yeah I mean it? you can follow me on Twitter I'm at Jammo Martin uh, at, at Twitter um,
1: yeah you can look me up James Martin Dark Web James Martin Crypto Market you you can see any of the
0: you know a lot that of the your articles. Sales, that's your sales profile <laughs> uh, well it's the Google <laughs> Scholar stuff yeah so you can yeah, right. click
1: on that a lot of the articles you know aren't behind paywalls and stuff yeah um, cool yeah and there's a couple of books out there as well so so you know, feel free to check them out. And
0: Sweet, unreal! What a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for coming so on. Yeah, cheers. And uh, that's a wrap. All right, guys, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that show, please subscribe. To subscribe, you can do it on all of your listening devices. You can subscribe at Bill Kurt TV at YouTube, and <laughs> that's it. Also. Don't forget to support our sponsors, yeti.com.au forward slash bro. Check out trueprotein.com.au and use the code bro there for 10% off. And for 20 hours free of virtual assistant services, head to athena.co, that's A-T-H-Y-N-A.co and use the code bro when you inquire. Alrighty, see you next week.